and welcome to the Low Tox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and this is show 52. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the show with Cindy O'Meara last week from Changing Habits. I know I did. And today I have another fantastic woman with me, Nicole Bilsma. Now, if you haven't heard Nicole speak on electromagnetic radiation before, you are in for a treat. Yes, it's scary sometimes to hear this sort of information, but we need to get more empowered um, and we need to learn just how easy it is to lower our toxic load when it comes to EMFs. Uh, And, uh, you know, especially for children, if we have children in the house, and especially if we're, you know, working in, in, in an environment where there's Wi-Fi, there's so much we can do. So I know you're going to love that chat. And she shares a deeply personal story about what got her into how homes could possibly be making us sick. And that then set off an incredible career that extended from her naturopathy studies right into now teaching people all around the world how to become qualified building biologists and help people stop themselves from making their stop their homes from making them sick. And I've got some fantastic resources in the show notes for you to follow up if Nicole's work resonates with you uh, after hearing the show today. Now I have the same two fabulous sponsors as we had last week on the show and these sponsors help us put this show on and cover all the costs between the producer, myself, my assistant who writes up the show notes and uh, and not go backwards in providing you incredible information. So I thank you for allowing us to showcase these businesses and for them to support us here on the show is always just so appreciated and it, there's actually nothing more than I love than helping out small businesses in the space of low-tox grow uh, so that we can literally change the market. And it just excites me to know that more and more people get to know more and more fantastic brands doing right by people and planet. And things start to look different very quickly as we've already seen with some of the big shifts that huge multinationals have started to make, realizing that yes, we care. So Earthing Oz is a gorgeous business. Uh, They're family-run Australian. They believe passionately in sharing information around the health benefits of earthing. And a lot of you guys know this as grounding. And they have a huge uh, array of articles and resources that talk about how you can improve sleep, reduce pain and inflammation, decrease stress, improve circulation and energy, literally just by putting your bare feet in the sand, in the dirt, in the grass, somewhere in nature. However, not always possible. A lot of us work at computers all day. A lot of us are in highly urban environments and need some extra support. And their shop provides that with a range of indoor earthing products that keep you earthed while you work and sleep. So we have... 20% off their whole range using the Lotox Life code. And I have all the details, including their website and a couple of the products I love from their store to inspire you to maybe check that out and see how it works for you. And I would love to know if you feel a difference. I know I do. That little buzzy feeling goes away, especially if I'm in the zone and writing for hours at a time and just breaking quickly to stretch my legs and bounce on my mini trampoline. Uh, I, I absolutely love them. So enjoy. 
And of course, if you haven't taken 180 Nutrition up on their fantastic protein powder samples, please do that. You have two little mini flavors to try, so and each has two serves in them. And this, combined with your favorite form of milk or water even, uh, with a banana or your favorite fruits and berries maybe, blueberries, high antioxidant, and uh, cinnamon and a bunch of baby spinach, is just a brilliant way to either... Uh, make sure you're getting a great meal on a very busy day where it's just not possible to cook and sit down or um, fantastic for in-between kids' sports activities, fantastic for that 3pm slump when you were going to reach for the chocolate. It's such a good thing to have in the cupboard. Um, I actually use it as my, whoops, I forgot to get groceries. I guess I'm having a smoothie for lunch kind of default. And they care so much about their sourcing and about their customers. um, Guy and Stu really are, uh, after seven years of running uh, 180 Nutrition, some of the most... uh, high integrity people I've met in the health uh, space in terms of their why and uh, their reason for putting these incredible uh, protein powders out to the world. It's not about fads. It's not about strange derivatives of uh, overly processed GMO soy. It's not about additives and all the things you find in so many protein powders out there. Um, And it's not about all the new fandangled, sprouted, fermented things that can often cause a bit of aggravation to people who haven't done any gut work before or have history main issues. These protein powders are so divine and suit so many different types of people and lifestyles. All you have to do to get them is jump on the link and literally just cover postage and handling. So for $7, I think it is, $7.95 Australian, uh, you you get sent two mini packets. So you get to try two different flavors and decide what you want to move on with full size when you've tried them. Uh, Chocolate is my favorite um, always chocolate always wins. Anyway, that's that for our beautiful show partners. And now on to a revelatory conversation, as it always is when I have a conversation with Nicole, uh, around um, electromagnetic radiation, what the story is, what the research is, and what we can do to minimize our exposure with super practical and simple steps we can take at home. Enjoy. Hello, Nicole. How are you? I'm great, Alex. Thank you. Now, I'm so excited to have you on the show. It's always just such a pleasure tapping into your brain. (laughs) You've devoted your life to building biology and root cause medicine. And I think the breakthroughs that you're experiencing are just incredible at, um, at levels that we often don't find hope for. And we just had a chat before we went on air, guys. And I'm actually going to get Nicole to start there, if you don't mind, Nicole. Uh, and I'll, I'll frame the question this way. You give a lot of talks at conferences and you have done for a couple of decades this week, you were giving a talk where you um, spoke about EMFs, uh, chemical sensitivity of the home uh, and mould, water damage and the effects it can have on, on these hard, hard out-of-the-box patients who no one seems to be able to help. We go into the home and we start to find the answers. Can you start there and just tell us a little bit about this, um, this conference you were at and, and the practitioners that were there? Because they weren't all... Um, alternative practitioners, were they? There were some uh, some GPs and, and um, more mainstream medicine practitioners as well. Yes, they were primarily um, medical practitioners and only one acupuncturist 
and primarily emergency physicians, paediatricians and oncologists and general practitioners. So they were the primary cohort who came to this uh, lecture and it was through ACNAM. So I've done quite a lot of lectures for the Australian Clinical Nutrition and Environmental Medicine and they're starting to put the E back in ACNAM, which Yay. is environmental medicine. Yay! Because <laughs> it's been ignored, as we know, and as I know, as an acupuncturist and naturopath, it was completely ignored in my training. So uh, it was awesome because I got to speak about the latest scientific evidence of how allergens in the home, like house dust mite, pest and pet dander, etc., could trigger allergies and how the diversity of bacteria in the carpet and the household dust is the most important thing to reduce the incidence of asthma and allergies. So the more diverse the bacteria is in the, in the household dust, the lower the risk of asthma and allergies. And I talked about studies of that. I spoke about electromagnetic fields and what precautionary uh, countries are doing about and how they differ in the exposure standards dramatically to what's happening in Australia and um, why Cyprus has pulled wireless technology out of its schools. I talked about chemicals in everyday products and especially in the home and how it's causing an epidemic of um, autism and chemical sensitivities. But the highlight for me was at the end of the Sunday on the last day, an interdisciplinary group of medical doctors who work in this group in Byron Bay, they're naturopaths, psychologists, counsellors, osteopaths, GPs, who get together every Friday morning and discuss complicated patients. And they got up and spoke about a woman who had multiple chemical sensitivity and after three or four sessions they were unable to identify, uh, to get her better, even with vitamins and minerals because she was reacting to everything. So they hired a building biologist to go to a home and discovered that her home was significantly water damaged and there were biotoxins and mould. They discovered that she was living next to a disused petrol station where they had dumped many of the petrochemicals chemical solvents along the border boundary of of the home. Uh, she was also living opposite a tyre factory. And when they did the urine test for organic acids, they discovered high levels of petrochemical solvents and 1,3-butadiene, which comes from tyres. They found biotoxins and basically her home was making her sick. Wow, surprise, mm. surprise. I mean, this is the thing. Most people with chronic-related disorders, especially chronic fatigue syndrome, chemical sensitivities, electromagnetic sensitivities, it's the home that will be triggering it all the workplace. And that's, we, we know that it's just unfortunate that most practitioners have no knowledge of this. So these patients see many practitioners, natural therapists and GPs, and they don't tend to get anywhere because the cause is very rarely addressed. Yeah. And did you find that the reception to your ideas and research was really um, well accepted? Oh, absolutely. I mean, to give you an idea, I've had doctors pay people to do my building biology course so they could work full-time in their medical practice. That's wow. what's going on. We get more people referring jobs to my building biology graduates through doctors than any other cohort. That's amazing. So for anyone out there who's feeling like, gosh, when is the mainstream going to get this it is getting this and it is starting to happen and that's just that's just I love that idea of interdisciplinary practitioners getting together and discussing tough cases because you know through the lens of many comes the answer often doesn't it oh absolutely and look like yesterday I did a 
a segment with the Today Show on Channel 9, which will air in the next week, on homes and how they cause ill health hazards and things like that. So they went through my home and looked at, you know, food packaging and uh, vacuum cleaners and microfiber cloths and all the stuff I've been yarning on about for 20 years. But you just need to keep it in the, you know, mainstream to start getting people realizing that you know simple things around the home can make dramatic differences to many of the epidemics that are going on absolutely and one of the things that you obviously focus on in your work is uh, electromagnetic fields and that's where we're concentrating today so i guess to segue into that more specifically can you share with us when when it first became a bit of a red flag for certain scientists yeah, well, there's been the first evidence that it caused human health effects was in military uh, personnel prior around World War Two, and especially those working on radar bases because radar can emit very high levels of radio frequencies, uh, which can be emitted over hundreds of kilometres because that's what they're intended to do, mm-hmm. um, and they would develop what they called radio wave sickness. Um, the Russians wrote a very useful report on this in the 70s, and they were really the leaders in this research, especially during the Cold War when they were investigating uh, microwave oven or microwave technology. And, in fact, as a result of their work in uh, radio frequencies and microwaves, by the way, microwaves are a form of radio frequencies, they wanted to ban microwave ovens from the Soviet Union in 1974 but weren't allowed to because of international free trade agreements with the states. So that's what their concern was. They were so concerned they didn't even want microwave ovens. Wow. Um, but it wasn't until 1979 when Wertheimer and Leeper published their study showing that exposure to the electromagnetic fields from high-voltage transmission lines um, in- doubled the incidence of childhood leukaemia that the impact of EMFs on the public's health became apparent. Now, what they found was they basically went to a hospital and got all the records of children who were diagnosed with childhood leukaemia in the 70s. They went to their home just to see if they could see anything that that was the same amongst these children. And they found most of them lived near high-voltage transmission lines. And if they lived within... um, exposed to 4 milligauss or higher, which is often within 400 to 500 metres from power line, these high-voltage power lines, the incidence of childhood leukaemia would double. In 2002, um, in fact, in the year 2000, two really important systematic reviews came out by Album and Greenland, which demonstrated that exposure to um, magnetic fields beyond 4 milligauss could increase the risk of childhood leukemia and that resulted in the World Health Organization classifying this form of radiation as possibly carcinogenic in 2002. So the concern here as building biologists is where are we exposed to high magnetic fields? Well, firstly, magnetic fields are created when electricity, when a, an appliance is in use. So when you have the kettle actually heating, it emits a high magnetic field that quickly drops off with distance and generally isn't going to be an issue. The problem is when you are sleeping in high magnetic fields and we know it interferes with melatonin, sleep cycle and hormonal cycles. So you don't want your bed near uh, devices that emit high magnetic fields. And the example would be a smart meter, which emits high fields because whilst there are any devices like lights or any appliances on in the home, you're going to generate current through the the meter panel. The other one is a fridge. If your bed head backs up onto the wall of the fridge, 
that can be an issue because the motor's going on and off all night. And as when it goes on to cool the fridge, it emits a high magnetic field that can go halfway through your room. And, of course, if you're in that field, then your, your melatonin levels drop and you become more at risk for cancers because melatonin is the most important anti-cancer neuropeptide that we have, but it also influences reproduction, puberty, and, uh, of course, uh, circadian rhythms and, and um, sleep cycles. Other things that can emit high fields, uh, magnetic fields, are inverters. When people get solar panels, it's important that inverter that converts the sun energy to AC electricity is not near the bed or any living space where you spend time. So these are the things that a building biologist will look for. And a digital clock radio emits very high fields that's at about you know a metre. So the digital clock radio should not be within a metre of your head. It should be on the other side of the wall or like what I use is just a battery-operated clock or a wind-up clock in my bedroom and the kids' bedroom. Yeah. And it's also magnetic fields. And it's funny when you stay in a hotel, I often find it takes me half an hour to get ready for bed just going around the room switching everything off. <laughs> yes. Don't forget to check the air conditioner loaded with mould on the blades and the coil. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, I don't find I sleep too well with air conditioning, so I usually switch that off too. But, um, wow. Okay. So you mentioned solar panels there and the inverter. Can you go into a bit more um, detail there because I know there's so many people who are wanting to get on the solar bandwagon and get away from um, using conventional power. Um, So how do we stay excited about solar and protect ourselves? Is it literally just about this inverter and moving that to a specific place? Like can you put it in the garage? Yes, absolutely. So relocating it away from the house is important. Like the meter panel, it needs to be away from the home. So on the garage or a shed. The problem with solar panels is that it can emit huge amounts of dirty electricity in the entire building wiring. And this is why I found anyone that's diagnosed with electromagnetic sensitivity generally can't live in a home once solar panels are installed because when it's converting the DC sun to AC electricity, it's emitting huge amounts of dirty power throughout the the wiring within the walls of the building. So they often can't tolerate that. Most healthy people tolerate it, won't notice any difference, but people who are highly sensitive will. So I would suggest for people with EHS not to have solar panels. For people who are relatively healthy, make sure that the inverter is away from the home and ideally, you know, with the the wiring, it can be in metal conduit and also bundled to cancel out the magnetic field and the electric field. So you'd need to get an electrician and I've mentioned a couple on my website, buildingbiology.com.au, who would be well adept at doing that. Great. And for our overseas listeners, what can we Google to get to this information? Um, I talk about it in my book, Healthy Home, Healthy Family, which isn't out yet. (laughs) (laughs) When's it coming? When's it coming? (laughs) I think I've got a thousand on back order. Um, It will be November. So I'm just finishing the last chapter on drinking water. The problem has been because I'm doing my PhD, I have access to the most amazing journals and publications on PubMed. So I'm constantly downloading this amazing amount of information and it's getting bigger and bigger. And <laughs> mm. But I'm almost there and I'm about to send it to the graphic designer. It will also be available electronically so that uh, international student um, people can access it online. Oh, great. Awesome. That's fantastic. Um, now, why, you know, obviously you've just shared quite a bit of research there as to why this 
is worth our concern, but like why aren't all scientists worried? Why do people poo-poo this this evidence or they called it so-called evidence? Why? Well, they poo-poo it because they provide no evidence that it's safe. And yes. secondly, the reality is when because the burden of proof isn't on the manufacturer or telecommunications industry to prove the technology is safe, they can enlist what we call the four-dog defence. Now, the four-dog defence literally means um, is a mechanism by which uh, manufacturers can deny that there's problems because they have no requirement to prove something is safe. And that is a huge problem because what they do is they just deny that there's any problems. So therefore, they wait till researchers spend years, decades or their lives to prove that it's actually dangerous. The system is not geared towards public health. And with the four dog defense, it's basically a delay tactic. So the first one is my dog doesn't bite. Industry denies their product is harmful and they actively discredit any study or research that says otherwise because they don't have to prove it's safe. So they just say more research is needed. And a good example would be asbestos and environmental tobacco smoke, benzene, PVC, PCBs. I mean, there's so many so examples many. Yeah. where we left Tobacco smoke, the first publication came out in 1950 by Richard Dole. It was 50 years before we acted on it Yeah. because the you know, Tobacco Institute said until you can prove what happens at a cellular level, we're going to deny that it's a problem. I mean, it's nuts. Yeah. Um, so you've got all this ridiculous, you know, and then my dog bites but it didn't bite you because it wasn't within the exposure standards. But they don't tell you the exposure standards are not health-based standards and they were involved in the development of the exposure standards. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, and yeah. then my dog bites, it bit you and it hurt you, but it's your fault because you chose to buy my product. So a good example is cigarette smoke. So you've got your little beautiful gangrene pictures and tongue cancer on the cigarette smoke packet. And they said, well, we warned you not to buy our product, but you chose to, so it's your fault. And this is where Mm. mobile phones are interesting because there are warnings embedded in your mobile phone if you can find them. I know. It's like 50 billion clicks through to certain section in the fine print. Yeah. It's nuts. So we've warned you, even though we didn't show you where it was, so it's your fault. Because, it, look, the reality is the telecommunications industry cannot get insurance from Lloyds of London or from the Swiss insurance because they are expecting a tsunami of brain tumours down the track. Now, what we haven't talked about is the adverse health effects associated with uh, wireless technology. Um, and there's three really big studies that came out, the Serenet study in France, the Interphone study in Europe, and, of course, Professor Leonard Hardell's research, who is the leading researcher on mobile phones. And all of those studies which involved a huge sample, um, a number of um, people involved, especially the Interphone study, which was um, provided by the um, telecommunications industry, is they showed that if you use your phone on one side of the head for a minimum of 30 minutes or more per day over 10 years, your incidence of brain tumours significantly increases. Now, depending on the study, the Interphone study indicated a 70% increase, the Serenet study indicated a 100% increase and Hardell's research showed a 170% increase if you used it under those conditions. Now, the problem is a lot of those studies didn't look at heavy users. They didn't look at 
cordless phones, which are worse than mobile phones because they're emitting radio frequencies 24 hours a day. And if they're in your bedroom, you're exposed to high levels of radio frequency, which are known to affect melatonin. So cordless phones need to be removed from a home uh, because of this. And of course, hardwired connections and hardwired corded phones are a much better option. If you're going to use your mobile phone, text instead of um, putting it next to your head, use the loudspeaker or use a earpiece where mm-hmm. you can. Yeah, good advice. Um, now, I saw an article in a mainstream um, a newspaper here in Australia, I think it was the Body and Soul section, where it was like 10 health myths busted. And right there was we have nothing to worry about because nothing's been proven regarding mobile phones and, and brain tumours. Is it like I know that the, the pushback is on us as consumers to not use these things because we it, it's 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 written there as a warning and you know like we said if you can find it um but are telcos actually do you think or or government or uh, i don't know who it is influencing these messages um that sort of poo poo the evidence and they figure if their voices are louder and say we've nothing to worry about then no one's going to keep looking yes probably Mm. It's really, I mean, the sh- it keeps the sheeple in control, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah it does. <laughs> I mean, that, that publication goes out to many, many, many thousands of people every weekend. So, and I, I was, I was kind of sad to see it because I thought, well, <laughs> I know there's a lot of research that suggests otherwise, but if this is what the average 20 something who is the sort of target age group is reading, then they'll just stay on their mobile phones stuck to their ears and, and feel like, They've been given the the green flag to go for it. Oh, and look, I'm ashamed because I wrote for that. I wrote for a year for mm. Bodies, and you see publications like that where they interview an a expert or professor who's not an expert in the field they're commenting on. Ah. Firstly, it's a huge issue. Yeah. Secondly, they provide no valid evidence to back up what he was stating, nor did they look at any of the evidence that currently exists. Now, the big problem with brain tumours is they have long latency periods. And all of the Russian research has said that it doing research on electromagnetic fields that only looks at short-term effects is ridiculous because like asbestos, there's a long uh, uh, latency period. And for brain tumours, it's between 15 and 25 years. Now, if you think about the fact that when 3G was introduced, that's when the problematic uh, field came in, in around 2003, most people started to buy mobile phones for around mid-2000 onwards. So at 15 to 25 years, we haven't even hit the latency period yet. So deny, to deny there's a problem when you know the latency period hasn't come up yet is just shows that you are not informed or educated about the risk. Um, and, of course, this is really important and this is something that people don't tend to look at. They deny, deny, deny like they did asbestos, leaded paint, leaded petrol, benzene, PVC, I mean environmental tobacco smoke. I mean the list goes on and on. So my goal in my life is to enable consumers to make an informed choice, which at the moment they can't because they assume when it's on the supermarket shelf or when it's in the Telstra store, it's been tested to make sure it's safe for human use. And that is certainly not the case. So until you are educated, you cannot make an informed choice. And this is why I believe there is a tsunami 
of kids on the spectrum, which is now one in 35 Australian children aged between the ages of 5 and 14, according to the latest statistics, um, associated with many of the chemicals and furnishings, personal care products, cleaning products, uh, foods, you know, pesticides in foods affecting gut microbiome. I mean, it's it's an epidemic and we now have good understanding of the implications and the exact mechanism at the cellular level of what's happening. And yet that's not being translated into medicine and it's not being translated into natural therapies. No. And it's certainly um, the reason that I started my e-course, Go Low Tox, because I just felt like there was so much confusion and people were wandering around, either curious, but thinking, oh my gosh, if I go in there, it's just going to blow my mind and not in a good way. Or um, really wanting to know, but feeling so confused by so much conflicting information. Um, And when it comes to Wi-Fi and modems and um, Ethernet cables. Can we talk a little bit about that and what the difference between each of those options is and what um, the NBN option is and maybe what might be the best option when we're connecting ourselves to the internet for the home? Yeah, sure. Um, and that's a good question. And, yes, fantastic kudos to you, sister, for putting it out there. <laughs> you got to get it out there. Well, I mean, everyone who's passionate about it has to do the work because it requires all of us to do the work. Yeah, Absolutely. And that's why citizen science projects are so important. In fact, this reminds me about a really important citizen science project in the 70s where all the parents donated their child's first tooth to science, to researchers to test for uh, radioactive nucleotides because this is the time when they started doing nuclear testing um, in the 70s. So what the citizens did is they donated tens of thousands of baby teeth to researchers to test the levels of radioactivity in their teeth, strontium-90, and as a result of showing a direct correlation with the, um, you know, nuclear testing, they were able to show that American children were affected by these nuclear radioactive uh, particles, and that's resulted in the nuclear treaty um, ban. So, you know, that made a big difference. And this is unfortunately what we're going to have to do with electromagnetic fields and chemicals and all that stuff. But going back to wireless, what we need to do is um, with the router, the best option is to have a hardwired cable option so you don't have wireless uh, in the home. Wireless printers emit high levels of radio frequencies and they're often very close to you in your office and that's a problem or near children um that is especially an issue Uh, cordless phones i've mentioned baby wireless monitors what a disaster that the levels that come out of a baby wireless monitor are often very similar to what we pick up from a mobile phone tower so it's no wonder these kids aren't sleeping very well Um, and unless they're at risk for SIDS, then you know you'd use a hardwired cable monitor would be a better option than using radio frequencies bathing the entire cot and the rest of the house but with the router if um, a hardwired option is not an option because you've got people in the house who are skeptical or want their wireless then the first thing you want to do is power it down you go onto the internet to the make of the manufacturer of the router put in your model number and power it down by at least 95% less. So it's not beaming across the entire neighbourhood. It's only beaming in those parts of the house where you want internet connectivity. The second thing is you only put it on when you need it. So turn it off when you don't need it and especially at night time so it's not going to be interfering with your melatonin levels. The other thing is it should be in a space or a spare room or cupboard away from where people sleep and away from where people spend time so they're not near it even in the garage if need be. 
But as I said, the best option is not to have wireless internet a router. It's to have a hardwired cabled option if that's possible. If children are using uh, electronic devices, once they've downloaded the uh, app, which of course they have to do wirelessly, then put the uh, device into uh, flight mode. And that way they're not continually exposed to radio frequencies when they're using the device. So that would be the best option there. It means they can't make or receive calls and, and use the internet, but at least they can use the app and um, not get exposed to radio frequencies. Awesome. And um, do Ethernet cables make a difference if you do have a modem, a Wi-Fi modem? Yeah, they do. Now, the problem is with a lot of the dual function modems is you can turn off the wireless component on the button and the green light goes off, but it can still be beaming high levels of RF. And this is what we found in almost every dual modem that we've tested so unfortunately, the only way you can turn the wireless component off is to turn it off at the wall. Now, this is a problem because, of course, if you can't use the wireless modem, the wire modem at all. Mm. So it's, if you can try and get a cabled modem that doesn't have a wireless component, that would be your best option. Um, or, you know, what I get my husband to do, he loves his wireless, even though he's married to me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. He was my biggest sceptic when I first started and I have him to thank for all the research I've done in the last 30 years To I often find with um, with the men in our low-tox community, it is the, the Wi-Fi and the Rexona. <laughs> They're the two things oh that the whole, commu- the, the whole rest of the family goes, no, I'm not going <laughs> to. Yes, exactly. Well, just to let them know, Last Wednesday, a large study, 38-year study came out that men's sperm has dropped by 49% in the last, um, since 1973. Um, Part of this, they're thinking having a mobile phone device near your testicles and, of course, all the chemicals in Rexona Mm -hmm. and anything with fragrance that are known to have phthalates and hormone-disrupting chemicals is not a good idea. So those little spermies haven't got a chance if you've got uh, radio frequency device like mobile phone near the ghoulies and, of course, the uh, chemicals in their Rexona and aftershave. They need to be essential oil-based or fragrance-free. Absolutely. And um, and Tim Ferriss actually did an amazing hack, uh, I think, when it, he was writing For Our Body and he literally did a month with the phone in his front pocket and a month without and his sperm healthy sperm count doubled after a month of not having the phone in the front oh, pocket. Um, I wonder if it's somewhere on the internet. I know it's in the book, but um, I'll, I'll try and find it for you guys and and share it in the show notes because, you know, if you can just show something simple and often, um, you know, we all like to learn from people that we um, we find cool or look up to or respect and, 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 and Tim can be that person for a lot of men and who go, okay, right, if he's done this experiment, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, you know. Yes. And I think we've, we've all got to learn – in, in a way that inspires us. And sometimes it just doesn't inspire us to have our partner telling us everything we're doing is wrong. And <laughs> it's not nice. So we need to play, we need to play, whether you're the man who's passionate about this in your home or whether you're the woman, whoever got there first, you know, we need to play it smart so that we get people on board in a positive way instead of feeling like they're being judged or, um, or told to do stuff all of a sudden. It's not a great couple dynamic, is it? No, it no. isn't. I mean, it's constantly at, in their ear. And, of course, my husband, well, we're still married, so that's a good thing <laughs> after 20 years of marriage. <laughs> he must have listened. 
first. I just gave him the book and said, I read this, honey. This is what I've been working on for the last few years. Yeah. And Nicole, would you mind sharing your personal story as to how um, all of this became super important to you personally? Yeah. So we moved into a home in a beautiful area, very tree, next to the Yarra River. And within weeks of moving in, my husband and I weren't sleeping very well. Within 12 months, I fell pregnant, then miscarried at 11 weeks. I then went on and had 10 miscarriages in this home. And it was something that the neighbor had said to me, no one successfully had children in this home that really got me thinking, wow, you know, since moving here in our first home, we've, um, our health has really declined. So I started to look at what was going on and noticed we were sleeping on the other side of the wall of the meter panel. And when I got a Gauss meter, um, realized that we were sleeping in, you know, anything from 20 to 500 milligauss. And of course, that research by Wertheim Leaper said anything above four is associated with a doubling the incidence of childhood leukemia. So I said to my husband, we need to move out of this room. At the same time, I got indoor air quality devices and noticed that the carbon monoxide levels tripled in our bedroom because we were on a T intersection and the vehicle exhaust would come up through the garage into the through the timber boards into our bedroom and it would take a good three hours to dissipate. And then, of course, the afternoon traffic would start. Yes. <laughs> said we need to move rooms and we did move to the back bedroom, which, of course, he was reluctant because there was no ensuite. And I said... Look, this is what's going on. This is a coincidence. Uh, Ten miscarriages, no one's yeah. sweet. Let's just weigh those yeah. options up, honey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think the, the comment I made was, that's fine. You stay in that room, but you're never going to have sex ever again in your life. <laughs> 20 seconds later, he's moving the bed into the back bedroom. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yes, no comment. So I felt pregnant naturally with twins then, the yeah. next pregnancy, and then, uh, had three kids. Oh my goodness! From moving yeah. bedrooms, moving bedrooms, incredible. Away from of the of what I thought were the potential triggers. Now there is a handful of studies associating miscarriages um, during pregnancy with um, uh, high levels of magnetic fields. There's not a lot of evidence on it, but you know, as the doctor, reproductive immunologist in the US said to me, there's something that's triggered your immune response. Um, so I just thought, well, you know, sleep, melatonin was affected, et cetera. Let's just move the bedroom. This is a problem, problematic bedroom here. And we did and lo and behold, uh, everything's, you know, got the kids. Well, I can tell you, Nicole, from sharing that story, when I give basic community talks at councils and just get people aware and start pointing them towards more resources um, and do corporate lunch and learns, that I share that story because I just think, imagine if there are couples in this audience today who are just scratching their heads, IVFing themselves to the hilt, having all the miscarriage, you know, all the things happening and they just want that gorgeous, healthy baby. Um, what if that could help them? And I've had two people come to me and say, thanks to that talk, we now have a healthy baby boy or a healthy baby girl. I think there was one of each. Um, and, you know, again, correlation does not equal causation. As you said, there isn't a huge amount of evidence. But I think if as a community we share what we know and uh, we just help people who are these difficult cases just try something different, just go, okay, well, let's go live in that bedroom and see what happens. And it just gives me goosebumps every time to, to share your story and point them towards your work because it just helps so many people in such a profound way who've literally been banging their heads against a brick wall. So thank you. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I've had a couple of um, few people come up to me and say, I remember one, one talk I did. At the end of it, this woman came and shoved this child into my hands and I'm holding this baby. She goes, this is why I have this child because of what I read in your book. I implemented that and after having all these um, uh, infertility issues, I finally have the child because I just implemented reducing the chemicals and getting out of the electromagnetic field. Yeah. So I just stood there and she was upset and then I started crying. I didn't even know her. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing happened to me. Well, I, yeah, I knew my friends because I pestered them to do the course because they'd been trying for years and, and hadn't gotten anywhere. I said, look, just, just come. Let's just see if lowering your toxic load might do something. You never know. And you haven't done it yet, so you might as well. And they did the course and, you know, fast forward to 18 months later when I'm at the first birthday of little B and uh, Corin, the dad, introduced me to everyone at the party as the person who's responsible for B being alive and, and existing. And it's just, I mean, you just like, it, it's not gobbledygook it's not woo woo it's not you know this stuff really helps and it's just always such a pleasure to to get together with you and and bring this information to people in a more um accessible way because often we just you know you you hear all the safe 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 don't worry about it but then you hear incredibly brilliant minds like dr charlie teo (laughs) literally being banished from the establishment because he's saying no we need to put a red flag up around this stuff i think there's a problem um and you know it's like the pioneering minds end up being the witches at the stake of modern day don't they oh Absolutely, definitely. Because I mean, you're challenging a multi-trillion dollar industry. So you know, I look at, um, I wanted to do Newcastle at Medicine and I just missed out on the interview because my honours thesis hadn't been uh, marked yet. And I look at, oh God, the sliding door moments where I just missed out. But now I, most of my time is spent educating doctors about environmental related issues and I don't have to worry about losing my job because I employ myself yeah. in college. <laughs> So I have free reign. You know, I can't be deregistered. I can't be de-licensed because I employ myself and I'm in a much better position. Now I realise that, um, being able to do the work that I do without having to worry about my job. Mm. Yeah, and it, it is a sliding door moment, isn't it? That's awesome. And now you're doing a PhD and you're working with Professor Cohen, is that right? Yes, Mark Cohen, the chief. Isn't he a legend? We've got him coming back on the show in a couple of weeks and I've had him on before. He's such an inspiration. Um, is he a hard taskmaster? It's okay, we're no. just telling 30,000 friends. <laughs> You know what? I am blessed to have found him. Yeah, he's We're, beautiful. He's just the most amazing person. He's patient. I mean, I go through stages where I'm swearing my head off, like, this is stuff, blah, 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 the exposure stands. Look at all these illnesses that are attributed to all these chemicals. And he goes, that's right, that's why we need to do this. I've loved every single second studying with that man because he's a mentor yeah. to me and yet he's the most beautiful person because he's in such a high position but isn't influenced by money, which Mm. is so rare at his position. Like I see many people in higher positions who wrought that to gain financial gain and he is so not like that. His heart is in the right place and the research he has done has stepped on many people's toes, especially corporations. So I have a huge amount of respect. I mean, he's well respected in the medical, integrated medical and natural therapies industries and he's just a 
amazing to work with and I feel blessed to be working with that man. Oh, how beautiful. And we cannot wait to read your PhD thesis. When when are we talking? How far away are you from completing it, do you think? Well, my first publication was last year, Environmental Chemical Assessment, Unveiling the Elephant in the Room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That was great because I ended up getting flown to Thailand to speak at a medical conference. Amazing. Um, as we saw that, yeah, it's been really good. The second one I've just submitted and we're waiting to see if it's going to be um, accepted with the highest environmental journal, which is the Environmental Health Perspective, and that's titled Environmental Medicine, A Profession Divided. And what I did is I interviewed a, the top environmental medical doctors in Australia New Zealand and occupational environmental physicians and I looked at how they assess chemicals in their patients and I it basically came out with several themes that assessing chemicals in patients is almost impossible because you can't quantify every one of the hundreds of chemicals that are in our bodies and com- and I'd imagine combined how they react together uh, ex- the metabolites exactly because mm. we know the microbiome on the skin can transmute chemicals before it even gets into the blood that the gut microbiome is so critical because it can break down chemicals in fact there are over 850 bacteria that can transmute chemicals that are showing to be more effective than the liver at actually trans at by um, detoxification we are so early days with the gut microbiome aren't we wow yeah. We now know this is the place to start. And of course, you know, 30 years ago when I started naturopathy, it began with all diseases begin in the gut. We don't know why, but that's where it begins. So let's start with that. Mm. And of course, now we've got a lot more evidence <laughs> to support that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Incredible. So that's um, coming out. I'm halfway through my PhD and I'm developing a tool, a questionnaire and checklist that building biologists will use. Um, and then use indoor air quality markers for a week in people's homes who are sick and then to see if there's a correlation between their home and their illness. Wow, that's going to be amazing. And this will be something people can um, take the questionnaire online and then get a building biologist who has that tool? Yes, absolutely. And eventually that tool will be on your mobile phones because the cost of assessing um, testing for carbon monoxide, carbon dioxide, you know, humidity, chemicals and particulates is coming down so drastically this research is viable now because you know it exists so by using this tool and then using my questionnaire and checklist I'll be able to determine if their symptoms could be correlated to something in the house amazing wow well I think that's where we're going to end things Um, that was 40, uh, 40 minutes of power, if ever there were any. Um, so much great information. Nicole, thank you so much for being a guest on the show and for doing the work that you do. I know I appreciate it so much and so many thousands of people in my community also do. Um, we can find you obviously at healthyhome.com. No, building, no? Bu- building biology. Oh, okay, Doc. sorry. Yep, Healthy Home's the book. Thank yep. you. And we'll put all of those links in the show notes today so everybody go and get involved um i'll also pop a link to suggested um building biologists by nicole who are at the highest level of training um, if you want your home assessed and i'll put some international resources as well so you guys know where to find these people local to you um nicole thank you sorry no that's okay um, online course healthy home um short 
course that students can do. It's 12 weeks long. It's completely online and learn about all the hazards in the home and what to do about it. And that's on the buildingbiology.com.au website as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much. You have a beautiful rest of your day and no doubt we'll be speaking again soon. Terrific. Thanks, Alex. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Have a wonderful week. And before I sign off, I just want to say thank you to each and every one of you that writes a review or leaves a five-star rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you listen to the show. We appreciate it so much. It's the best way you can say thank you because it helps us stay visible and it helps people who haven't listened to the show before but who might come across it in a search think, hmm, I might give that a go. So I appreciate that and I'm wishing you the best week. Until next week, you can catch us on lowtoxlife.com and if you want to check out those show notes, remember to put forward slash podcast and it'll take you straight there. Otherwise, I'll also see you on Instagram. I'm always posting there. It's a little bit more uh, personal and a look at sort of how I eat and what I do and my dad's pictures of blossoms and whatever else is going on. And that's at Low Tox Life. Have a great week and I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.